Hello, I'm Enrich Eckplant. Welcome to the fourth episode of Only the Parts You Need, a GURPS podcast. We will be talking about two topics this episode. First up is Animal Combat, and second, Legendsmith will continue his topic of quick non-player character creation. Regardless of the setting, player characters may encounter animals in combat, mundane or not. While the typical characters are humans or humanoids, The body morphology and physical traits of animals make them work quite differently in combat. In the hands of an inexperienced GM, such encounters can become quite boring and repetitive. But GURPS has a lot of material to make combat with animals more exciting and varied. This is especially important for shape-shifting or summoning characters in fantasy games, such as typical D&D-style druids or werewolves. Page 461 of the basic set provides short guidelines on how to treat animals in combat, but I think that it would be better to show off some combat examples. GURPS Martial Arts has a useful section called Close Combat and Body Morphology on pages 114 to 117. This topic is expanded in great detail in Pyramid issue 111. Additional material can be found in GURPS Martial Arts, GURPS Martial Arts Technical Grappling, Fight While in Flight from Pyramid Issue 14, and Team Up from Pyramid Issue 65. Example 1. Human vs. Tiger. The first combat example I will show you is a fight between a bandit from GURPS Fantasy page 116 and an ambushing tiger from basic set page 456. The battle begins with 10 yards between the combatants. The tiger goes first and takes the move and attack maneuver to make a pounce. It is described on basic set page 372. The tiger has brawling 15, so it rolls against 19. The roll's result is 11, and since the bandit was surprised, he does not get an active defense. Let's calculate the damage. The tiger moved 10 yards, has 17 HP, and the bandit has 10 HP. Thus, the tiger deals 2d damage, and the bandit 1d damage. The rolls result in 5 and 4, respectively. Both has some DR, so they both take 3 injury. Both participants roll against dexterity to remain standing, and both succeed. On his turn, the bandit takes a step back and thrusts his broadsword at the tiger. He has broadsword 13, a minus 3 shock penalty, and the tiger has size modifier plus 1. So the bandit rolls against 10, and the roll results in 9. The tiger attempts a dodge, making a roll against 10. It rolls a 12, failing to dodge. The bandit rolls 1d plus 1, impaling damage, gets 5, that is reduced to 4 by the DR. The stab results in 8 points of injury to the tiger. The tiger is almost reeling from its wounds. The tiger right now is experiencing a massive shock penalty, so it decides to make an all-out attack determined to bite the bandit's neck, stepping forward as it does so. The tiger rolls against its effective brawling 10 to hit and rolls 10. The bandit decides to parry and rolls against 10. He rolls 11, failing to parry. The tiger rolls 1d plus 2, cutting damage, resulting in 4. 
The injury is doubled because of the hit location, so the bandits loses 8 HP and rolls against HT 11 to avoid getting stunned. He rolls free. He's fine. The tiger latches on, initiating a grapple for free, as per page 115 of Gerb's martial arts. On his turn, the bandit first rolls against HT 11 to remain conscious. He rolls 9 succeeding. The bandit desperately tries to break free. This is a quick contest of the bandit's strength 11 and the tiger's effective strength 22, because the size modifier difference makes the bite count as a two-handed grapple. The bandit rolls 11, having a margin of success of 0, and the tiger rolls 16, having a margin of success of 6. The bandit fails to break free. On its next turn, the tiger attempts a neck snap. It is resolved as a quick contest of strength minus 4, that's 13 for the tiger, and the higher of ST and HT of the victim, both are 11. The tiger rolls a 9, and the bandit rolls an 8. Now the tiger rolls swing, crushing damage. The roll of 3D minus 1 results in 11. This injury is multiplied by 1.5 for the hit location, resulting in 16 points of injury. The bandit rolls against HT to avoid dying, rolls 13 and dies. The tiger wins, however it risks bleeding out later. Example 2. Wolf vs. Deer. In the next example, I will show you a fight between a timber wolf from basic set page 458 and a red deer from basic set page 457. This example will disregard the pack tactics of wolves in favor of showing off some intricacies of dealing with horizontal postures, bites and kicks. Starting distance between the two animals is 8 yards. The deer's basic speed is higher, so it goes first. To avoid turning it into a chase, let's say that this is an aggressive deer that is protecting its herd. The deer decides to slam the wolf. If you were using just the basic set, you would resolve this as a normal slam that deals crushing damage. However, Group's Martial Arts page 107 allows using the move and attack maneuver and substituting slam damage for any thrusting attack, if better. In this case, slam damage would be 1D crushing, but if we are using the antlers, it will be 1D plus 1 impaling, because it changes the damage type and gives a plus 1 per die bonus. However, the deer will be unable to dodge after charging the wolf like that. Thus, the deer does so and rolls again 9, because this is a move and attack maneuver. It rolls 11 and misses. On its own turn, the wolf takes a step and changes facing, finding itself in the deer's side hexes. The wolf bites, aiming for a tendon in the deer's rear leg, as per Gerb's martial arts, page 115. This is the only way for the wolf to cripple the leg, because the deer's size modifier is higher. The wolf has brawling 14, and the deer's size modifier is plus 1. Hit location penalty is minus 2, with an extra minus 3 for targeting a tendon. The wolf makes it an all-out determined attack to get a plus 4 bonus. Thus, the roll will be made against 14. The wolf rolls a 9, and the deer attempts a penalized parry with its antlers, rolling against 7. It rolls 11, and the bite connects. The wolf rolls 1d-2 cutting damage and rolls 2. 
This results in 3 injury to the deer's tendon. That's not enough to cripple it. The wolf opts to get a free grapple. However, this counts as a one-handed grapple due to the size modifier differences. The deer tries to break free. This results as a quick contest of strength. The deer rolls a 15. Its marginal failure is 3. The wolf rolls 10. Its marginal success is 0. Thus, the deer fails to break free. The wolf opts to worry, rolling by damage for free. It rolls 4 cutting damage that results in 6 injury. The tendon was already injured, so only 2 injury is dealt and the excess is lost. The leg is crippled now, however, the deer has 4 legs, so the loss of a leg only halves its move. A major wound causes the deer to roll against HT to avoid stunning, but it rolls against 14 and fails. It is safe to assume that the wolf either cripples the second leg or goes for the throat, as the stunned crippled deer is an easy target. Let's declare this example finished. I've shown the mechanics I wanted to show here, except for the wrestling-based sweep, as suggested in GURPS Martial Arts Technical Grappling. Maybe next time. Example 3. Human vs Python. The next example required some additional research. GURPS Martial Arts described on uh, page 116 penalties for having no manipulators and no legs and exceptions for creatures with double-jointed and constriction attack. However, Sean Punch explained on the forums that these penalties assume a legless horizontal creature. Snakes and snake-tailed nagas lack horizontal, so they do not take these penalties and do not have to buy the ground-fighting technique to compensate. In this example, I will show you a fight between a bandit that fought the tiger before and a python. The bandit goes first thanks to his combat reflexes and makes a telegraphic attack, swinging at the python. He rolls against 17 and rolls a 9. The python dodges at plus 2, rolling against 10 and rolls a 10. The attack misses. On its own turn, the python bites to grapple using wrestling. It moves in and rolls against 13. It gets an 8, and the bandit attempts to parry, rolling against 10. He rolls 12, so the python latches on. The bandit attempts to break free. This full body grapple counts as two-handed, and the python knows wrestling at dexterity plus one, so it gets a plus six bonus in this quick contest of strength. The bandit rolls 7, his margin of success is 4. The python rolls 14, its margin of success is 5. The bandit fails to break free. The python attempts a takedown. This results as a quick contest of the python's effective strength of 14 versus the bandit's dexterity 12. Both combatants roll 12, so the python wins, bringing the bandit down to the ground. The bandit tries to slash at the python. He gets a minus 4 penalty for being grappled, a minus 4 penalty for being on the ground, and a minus 4 penalty for using a reach 1 weapon. That's too much. To compensate, he uses an all-out determined telegraphic attack for a plus 8 bonus and a plus 2 bonus for the python's defenses. Thus, the bandit rolls against 9, but rolls a 10, missing. Now, the python attempts a pin. This results as a regular contest of strength. The python rolls a 6, its 
the margin of success is 8. The bandit rolls a 16. His margin of failure is 3. The bandit is pinned. On the subsequent turns, the python will use its constriction attack, rolling a quick contest of strength against the higher of the bandit's ST or HT, and dealing margin of victory damage each time. It is safe to assume that the bandit gets squeezed to death here. Originally, I planned to include several additional examples in this episode, but then I decided I will talk about mounted combat, aerial combat, and aquatic combat in the future episodes. So the examples that feature mounds, birds, and sharks will be featured there. I'm done here, and now let's hear what Legend Smith has to say about quick NPC creation. G'day, Legend Smith here. This episode is a bit brushed on my part due to travel plans, so apologies for any volume or audio discrepancies. Now, on to the episode. Non-player character creation. How you approach it depends on exactly what you need. Many GURPS GMs make the mistake of assuming that NPCs in GURPS need to be created just like a player character. As I said last episode, this is a mistake. Most NPCs do not require this level of detail. When creating a character that the players will be interacting with once, such as for buying supplies, a general wildcard skill is fine. A goods merchant just needs a wildcard called Sell at a certain level. You can roll for it or use a general range. For example, a poor, low-skill merchant with poor goods may just have the Sell wildcard at 10. A very well-to-do merchant may have sell 14, and an average merchant sell 12. Stats can be assumed to be 10 across the board, with perhaps one higher in a relevant attribute. A wizard that they're buying potions from may have IQ 11 or 12, while a blacksmith will have the smith wildcard, is definitely going to be stronger than average, with strength 11 at least. That smith wildcard doesn't necessarily mean that they are a master blacksmith capable of smithing every type of metal, but it covers their general competency. But what about more detail? It's good to have starting points. Points values are less important for NPCs except for NPCs that the GM will be keeping around long term. I will now outline some starting points for this. These templates can be used to create fully studded characters with point values or the advantages, skills, and attributes can be taken to make a compact stat block. For fantasy games, Dungeon Fantasy 15 Henchmen is a great starting point. It provides a number of templates of both standard henchmen for higher powered NPCs and bargain henchmen. The standard henchmen are built on 125 points and are of course combat focused for the most part. The bargain henchmen can actually be more useful for our purposes of general NPCs as they are made on 62 points, which is about the average human. This book includes templates for servants, guards, and laborers, as well as others. These templates can be easily used to create NPCs that need more detail than a combat stat block. For example, an NPC blacksmith that the players will be interacting with frequently can be easily made by adding smith, iron, armory, body armor, and the melee weapon armory skills. A carpenter can be made by adding carpentry and artist woodworking. A local priest, the initiate template, 
one of the standard henchmen, is a good base. Just add current affairs with the regional specialization and the area knowledge skill with the regional specialization again. A note on that skill. Anyone who's lived most of their life in the same place should have one point at least in area knowledge regional. Any gossip or town crier will have current affairs regional. Alternately, they may have current affairs with the specialization related to their job. That way, when the players ask if the NPC knows about recent events, you as the GM can simply roll against this skill rather than trying to decide if they know it or not. Back to Dungeon Fantasy 15. The guard template makes for great city guards. The henchman book even talks about city guards in its customization notes. These templates all have some built-in customization, so it's a good idea to set out some presets ahead of time as part of your campaign preparation. In play you can use these instead of trying to reference the book, as I find the book's layout isn't exactly easy reading if you're trying to lay out what the options are. GCS has some of these options built into it, but not every template. But what if you're not running a fantasy game? Action 4 Specialists is a valuable resource here. As the name implies, it's about specialists. GURPS character sheet has the templates from specialists built in too, if you want to get an idea. Specialist templates are small templates that each cost 25 points and cover a certain specialization, such as armory, booby traps, communications, construction, infiltration, and many others. When the players need a man for the job, you can pull out one of these templates and slap them on an average Joe template, or something more competent, like the included basic action template that is part of the book. But what about the average Joe template I mentioned? Well, Crom, the GURPS line editor, outlined every man's skills on the forum. You can find this built into GCS. It includes area knowledge regional, computer operation for high-tech games, at least one current affairs skill, a hobby skill, and housekeeping. It's also a good idea to add a transport or travel skill, such as hiking or riding in low-tech games and bicycling or driving in high-tech games. You never know when the players might decide to take an NPC on a journey, if they're supposed to be important or useful. To make one of these characters a bit more competent, I recommend giving them an extra level in the primary skill of the template, or some higher attributes, or both. You don't need to adjust it more than that. These are supposed to be quick NPCs, after all. If using the basic abstract difficulty, or BAD system, or BAD system, from GURPS Action 2, you can apply the bonus or penalty as a bonus to dexterity or IQ for enemies. Or, for friendly hirelings, assume that the hireling should be competent enough to have an effective skill of at least 12 after BAD and adjust their pay. However, if the players want to have a character who's going to be less competent, they can pay for a less competent NPC. It's up to them. You can view the rules for this on basic set, page 517 and 518 for this. If someone with a skill level 12 is struggling or average, depending on their exact profession, then you can assume that every two skill levels up means that they go up a wealth level and thus so does their pay. 
Different skills may have different base levels for pay though, and don't forget equipment bonuses. A modern doctor is far more equipped than a medieval one, so take that into account when working out final skill with BAD. Additionally, you can use GM's discretion if you think that every three skill levels should be what's required for an NPC to demand more pay. That can make things a bit easy for the player characters though, but maybe that's what you want. Another resource is the GURPS NPC Generator at aynga.noip.info. It has both an online web version and a downloadable Windows version. The web version isn't quite as fully featured as the downloadable version. The NPC generator comes built in with a wide range of existing generation templates for everything from fantasy to cyberpunk to World War II, martial arts, and even Game of Thrones. The GURPS NPC generator was created by Andrew Inger in 2004, as far as I know, but it's been updated since then. Notable features of the downloadable version are the ability to create your own NPC generation templates and generating characters with set point values. The NPCs created by this program can require a little polish as they often have incomplete skill sets or some unusual attributes, but it can still be worthwhile to use it. NPCs are generated with a relative power score which represents their power compared to any average example of their template. 50 means average, while 100 is actually 50% more powerful. It isn't quite that intuitive, but it's you know reasonably easy to understand once you've got it. Now, if you need to create characters but don't have access to electronics and don't have any preset requirements other than a role, one can define a few features or skills and simply roll it with physical dice. I recommend 2d6 plus 4 or 2d6 plus 5 for a competent character's primary skill and 2d6 plus 2 for their secondary skills or just 2d6 plus 2 for less competent characters across the board. For example, if I'm generating a manager character for a corporation or a bunch of manager characters, I could assign these skills. Politics, which is how good they are at office politics. Administration, which is their job skill, because they're managers. And interpersonal, which is a placeholder for their actual skills at relating to others. This could then be refined into fast talk or diplomacy skills, depending on if they're supposed to be honest or not. If the skill role ends up well below average, I will then assign a disadvantage to them that explains why it's low, and either keep the level or raise it to 9 or 10, or even 11, meaning that it holds them back in a way that isn't directly related to the skill level. Other interactions between these roles can also be a source of inspiration. Someone mediocre at politics but good at interpersonal relationships may have the truthfulness disadvantage. The exact parameters are up to you as a GM. I hope this has been useful. Unfortunately, I'll be going away for about three weeks, and after that, I'll be having surgery. So the next episode might be a bit delayed on my part. Sorry about that, and have fun in your GURPS games.